0: I'm Janine, this is KUCI, 88.9 FM in Irvine, and this is Get the Funk Out. Standing by to join me are Liza Rodman and Jennifer Jordan. We're gonna talk about their book, The Babysitter, My Summers with a Serial Killer. And I have to say ladies, I'm kind of a wimp and I almost didn't book this because I thought, is this gonna scare me? But wow, when I read about this, what, what made you decide to, to you know make this happen?
1: Oh, gosh, that's such a big question. Well, I it kind of took a hold of me a long time ago and wouldn't let me go. Mm-hmm. And so as I spent several years, mm, 13, 15 years, researching and researching and banging my head against the wall and putting in the drawer and taking it out, and um, Jennifer finally had had enough of me and said, <laughs> how about we collaborate? So it's been a long time coming. Um, but it was this, based on a series of dreams, and I just couldn't let it go. I went down the rabbit hole and never came out. That's what happens.
0: Now, mm-hmm. Lisa, this was your babysitter? Correct. You know, I was talking to your PR rep, and I was saying I had a bad experience with a babysitter, and it was <laughs> not this creepy, but kind of creepy. And sometimes we have to process those things. We do.
1: We definitely do. And I, you know... He wasn't the creepiest. That's the I mean, there's so many ironies here. He really was a a lot of fun. He was like an older cousin or that older brother who you want to be and wear his jeans and listen to his music. Yeah, that's who Tony was to us. So we had far worse babysitters. So that that that's kind of strange.
2: Right. And the irony was that she was more afraid of her mother. Oh, absolutely. Tony, the serial killer. Mm. So as she said, this book has a lot of moments of just like, what? What is going on here and who are these people?
0: (laughs) That's crazy. So you weren't close with your mom growing up. I was not. No. Yeah, I wasn't either. But I I could never have imagined being left with a male babysitter.
1: Well, he was he was sort of so it was at one point. The title for this book in my head was The Accidental Babysitter, Mm -hmm. because that's really what it was. It was. a summertime at a big motel that had been built by my aunt and uncle who weren't really my aunt and uncle but my mom's best friend but that's what we called them Mm -hmm. and so it was a bit of a it was 1966 anything went as my my mother's favorite expression let it all hang out and so we were sort of free to come and go as we as we pleased and um it was my aunt tells this great story. I think it persona it, it, it explains it. She would stand at the front desk and he would be coming up the driveway to work. And she would yell out to us. Here comes Tony. And off we'd go in our flip flops and our, you know, waving our towels say begging to get in that truck. Can We please please can we go. Wow. So he was more. Um, I'm sure he wasn't as thrilled about it as we were. Mm-hmm. I, I think we can be certain of that. Give us the setting too. What town? The setting was Provincetown, Massachusetts, mm-hmm. which is at the very, very tip of Cape Cod and is world renowned for its light and its sand dunes mm-hmm. and its gentle breeze and its you know lap, 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 as Jen would say, um, against the shore. Really just this beautiful place at the end of the Cape. The way I remember it, even now as I'm talking, is sort of the blue sky, sand under your feet. Very, yeah. you know, busy tourist, but nothing like we'd experienced today. I mean, it was a pretty sleepy place. And, and it's
2: also known for its artists and its bohemians yes. and its drugs and its sex and rock and roll. And as she and then, said, as Isa said, let it all hang out. So Norman Mailer called P-Town at the, uh, in the, the 60s, the wild west of the East Coast. And it wow. totally was. So, you had the New York and Boston stuffy crowds coming to P Town for the summer and just going wild. Mm-hmm. So, this was the. And you know, it was a
1: safe of, place for the gay culture to right. sort of emerge one, and people the, to feel safe. That's great. Yeah. One of the few really safe
2: places because it was still illegal in this country mm-hmm. to be outward, outwardly homosexual. So, yeah. Um, yeah, it was a place for, you know, the, the wastrels and the, and the strugglers and, and those that have been thrown out of their families to come and be accepted and embraced. And Liza tells a great story of her mother being one of them, yeah. finding, finding a community. In right. Vietnam. Right. Amazing. Now,
0: when um, Jennifer, when Liza told you about this, were you, were you hesitant? Or were you just totally on board with this story?
2: Well, well, way before I got on board, I heard the story and I'd already written a few books and I was like, Liza, oh my God, this is an incredible story. Not only a story, but a book and not only a book, but a bestseller. So come on, you know, get, get to it. I know you want to write, get to it, get to it. (laughs) And so on my frequent visits home to Boston, I'd since moved out West, I would, you know, we'd sit up on the couch and curl our toes up underneath us and sip our wine. I'd be like, okay. How are you coming on the babysitter? Because I may, I immediately saw the book uh, cover when, when she told me the story. And finally she was like, la, 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 la. I don't want to talk about it. It's in a drawer somewhere. Mm. I can't deal with it. I don't know how to, how to even approach the structure. It's just too much, don't know. Sure. And because I'd already worked with a similar structure on another ghost book that I'd written, I was like, well, I know how to help you with this. So after, what was it? A couple of years of her like, you know, don't ask me anymore. It's just bothersome. Now now you're beginning to, to bug me. I said, okay, let me see if I can help. And we can work on this together.
0: And where are you both right now? I'm I'm in Boston. You're Boston, Liza. And where are you, Jennifer? Salt Lake city. Salt Lake city. Okay. So you did this from a distance?
1: did.
2: Well, both, both. I, um, Liza came out here for a month and then I went back East for a month and we actually, we, we rented a house in Truro. From a dear friend of ours Mm -hmm. and uh so we so that we could go into the woods and so that we could walk uh commercial street once again and go into some of the hangouts that are still there from the 60s and so including the rooming house where tony's last two victims and tony stayed in january of 69 so yeah so we we worked a lot most of it remotely but um a, a chunk of it together
0: amazing Mm. So give us a sense, without giving too much away, about how the story unfolds in the book.
1: The story unfold well, you know, wasn't that the, the how was the story going to unfold with the book? I think that's why we needed two writers. So what we did was, in the book, we lived parallel lives. So we ran along Tony's years and what he was doing mm-hmm. um, from 1966 to 1969, And then we ran alternating chapters of what I was doing on my summers from 1966 to 1969. So it starts out when I meet him. And he's hired at the Royal Coachman, as was his mother. And that's how I met them. Um, and my mother was also a chambermaid at the Royal Coachman, which was the motel I talked about earlier. Was she
0: friends, excuse me, was she friends no. with her mother, with his mother? She employed her
1: and oh. she was, they, were, they were utterly different. My mother was 30. His <laughs> mother was 50. Oh. And in those days, that's quite an age gap. Yes, it is. Um, and it, so friends, probably not friends, but <laughs> knew one another. And Cecilia, who was Tony's mother, used to take us home with her. So we'd go home and stay overnight there. Hmm. So she was a, a bit of a babysitter too, and in fact, my mother was known as the babysitter finder. So amongst her friends, and they'd all laugh about it that if you know you hold a mirror under their nose and they're they're actually breathing, then they're good to babysit. Oh great! So, um, so great you know. criteria. Yeah. <laughs> Do they have a pulse? Great. <laughs> Maybe even sometimes if they don't. Speaking of <laughs> pulses, but anyway, um, so uh so we met them all they were everyone was working there at the row coachman and um as and then my mother went on to own the motel across the street and so we were a little bit removed from it but still looking to participate in all the fun stuff that was going on across the street because Mm -hmm. they had the shuffleboard and they had the. so it's really just my childhood experiences summer wise and what was going on with tony and the overlap And that's how we told the
2: story. But let me, uh, because Liza usually tells this story, but I'm going to tell it this time because the book really started when Liza was having these nightmares Mm. and being chased by a faceless attacker. Mm. And she would always wake up at the point of that adrenaline surge that wakes you up because your legs hurt, but never know who (laughs) it was that was chasing her. And then one night uh, she was working on her thesis at college. So kind of dredging up memories for her journal writing. And one of those nights, one of those nightmares, she saw a face she hadn't seen for 30 years and it was Tony Costa. Right. So she went to her mother and she said, why am I dreaming about Tony Costa? I hadn't thought about him in 30 something years. And her mother said, well, <laughs> you know, I, I remember <laughs> he turned out to be a serial killer. And Liza's like, what do you mean a serial killer? I mean, how we, we w- went around with him, we were in the truck, we went to the, we went to the dump with him, we went out to the woods. And her mother famously said, Yeah, so what? He didn't kill you, did he? And that's,
0: did you meet her mother?
2: Oh, Oh, I did. Oh, God, yes. (laughs) Because we met in college. So we, I would frequently, because my home was up in Vermont and her home was in Boston, a lot closer uh, to college than my home. So we would go home a lot. And her mother, yeah, her, her tell her the mother, story. Her mother famously, when she took one look at me in my, you know, kind of hippie 70 outfit, said, Don't let her sit on the couch. She doesn't look clean. About you? About uh-huh. me. Yeah. Uh. <laughs> and in <laughs> a voice that she knew I could hear. I mean, it wasn't like she took Liza into the next room and ran the water and said, Oh no, no, oh no, no, yeah. no. Uh. Don't let oh, her yeah. sit on the couch.
1: Mm-hmm. Oh my And
2: I, I, de- I didn't, believe me. I didn't get close to that couch.
1: <laughs> that's all right. I lied all over it for you. Yeah.
2: So, <laughs> uh, so that's actually the beginning of the book. The first, the prologue of the book is that incredible story of Liza's, of, you know, seeing Tony in her dreams for the first time. You know, Tony with a gun to her head in the dream, saying to her mother, what the hell was went on with Tony Costa? Yeah. Right. And, and well... He didn't kill you so who really cares what happened to
0: him. But your mom had no remorse about I'm so <laughs> sorry I left you with the serial killer.
1: <clears throat>
2: that you, know even she, remorse. you know what? She, yeah,
1: not my, so much. my aunt had some remorse. Okay. And 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 there were apolo, you know apol apologies that were sort of almost embarrassed apologies at at times in my life. Um but my mother no well my mother had no empathy. She wasn't really an empathetic. He's missing that chip. Yeah, she was more the person who said, well, look, I mean, she didn't he didn't kill you, did he? Let's move on. Yeah. So, I mean, it wasn't as if and and this is true. It wasn't as if they said, here's a serial killer. And so we're going to have him babysit. And so in my mother's mind, I think she was innocent.
2: Yeah. Mm -hmm. And Betty also did not have an ounce of retrospection. No, She did not look back at all. And she was open about it. Right. She
1: was open about it. She had no interest. I'm just curious, what did she do for a living? She, she was a, in the early years. she was a home economics teacher in high school. And uh, then she got married again and she didn't do anything. I mean, she, it's not that she didn't do anything. She yeah. tried to raise a blended family mm-hmm. and get us all through school. And um, then she and my father took off to Hawaii. I mean, you know, who knows? Yeah. They weren't, you know, we were a bit in their way, let's say. Yeah. I get it. Yeah. yeah.
0: <laughs> I get it. That's another conversation. <laughs>
1: yeah. Yeah. It really I mean, is. Another, it really another is. Book. You and your sociopathic mother. Yes. Yeah.
0: Amazing. So what else would you like people to know about this book
1: without giving too much away? Well, you know, one of the things I, I hope comes out of this, is that that these kinds of people and these kinds of personalities, both the Tony Costa personality and my mother's personality, um, there's a lot of of shame. There was a lot of shame there for me in particular, because the kind of mental illness was not, you know, it didn't look like, we didn't know what it was. We didn't name it as such. Um, And people can, they can screen for Personalities like this. Now. Are you they talking have to about take, your mom? I'm talking about my mom and Tony. Yeah. I'm talking about that lack of empathy personality. Sure. Um, that can be, there's a, there's a, is Jim Fallon still at UC Irvine, uh, Jenny? Oh, I'd have to check. Um, there no. was a neuroscientist, a guy at UC Irvine who did um, a lot of work on the brains of these people. And their lack of empathy, sociopaths, psychopaths, because not all of the murder, obviously, my mother, although she lacked empathy, she didn't, you know, kill anyone. So there's a lot to be discussed, I think, about how to prevent this in society, because we know how now. Sure. We have the science and the way we stigmatize uh, people with mental illness is tragic in so many cases. Oh, yes. And, and I think we need to talk about it as a society. So if this book at all elevates that conversation, um, we, it will have been a success.
0: That had it been so hard for you, which would explain the nightmares. At least I'm the kind of person that will have nightmares when I haven't processed something mm-hmm. or something is nagging at me, to not have a parent that you can turn
1: to to talk to about this. Right. And not only could I not turn to, well, I tried to turn to her and talk to her, didn't I? And we see yeah. what happened. But right. not only that, what's not in that scene, which also happened that night, was that she, bl- she blames other people. She used to blame other people. So it was always, oh, well, that was Joan's fault. She, she liked to hire anybody she could see. But the fact is, is that they were in it together. Yeah. So she yeah, it's, it was difficult. Uh, I made my family from my friends, hence this 45-year friendship and this book um
2: and I think a lot of it yeah I think what's interesting about that Janine and and Liza's um you know unprocessed memory is that a lot of people ask us and ask her obviously uh do you think anything happened to you? you do you think Tony did anything to you and or do you think you saw something in those trips out to the woods where by the way he had buried his victims And Liza doesn't know she was too young, but my...
0: Excuse me, how old were you,
1: Liza? Seven, eight, nine, ten. Okay, so go ahead, ahead, Jennifer.
2: And uh, my answer to that is yes, that she did see something, but that her psyche protected her and protected her for 30-something years until between therapy and between the writing process and between kind of dredging stuff up for her journaling in college, these memories how to face to them for the first time. So, you know, my contention is yes, she, not that she necessarily suffered at his hands, but that at some point she was terrified of him. Oh, you were terrified of him. I don't, I don't. Consciously. Yes. I I think at some point she was because that's what the dream finally, I mean, she had a series of dreams with faceless attackers and finally the face was revealed and it was Tony Costa. Right. So, in my mind, in my thinking, and my pop psychology is something imprinted on that young brain that wouldn't let go. Yeah. Do you
0: feel a little more healed? Or do you feel healed as a result of writing this book?
1: This is my favorite question. It's becoming my favorite question, because the answer is absolutely not. Mm -hmm. Um, I'm not sure um, you actually heal from something like this. I think you certainly learn how to deal with it. Um, but I learned to deal with it before I wrote this book. And the process of writing the book is where the catharsis, I think, takes place, because yeah. I've always wanted to do it. Good. And it took me 15 years to do it. So the idea that the book is out in the world, that Jen and I have made this piece of art that's connecting with people and that hopefully has some help for people. People mm-hmm. reach out a lot and say, I had a mother like that or yeah. i had this experience so that having done it finished it slogged our way through it um it's not easy material in fact it was quite difficult the material so that's where i feel accomplished and and as if we've done the right thing yeah um, so if there were catharsis that would be it but healed no healed no
0: yeah i felt I should have asked the question. Do you not have any more nightmares? Hmm. Yeah,
1: I, mostly no. Okay, mostly. But those you, were.
2: But do you have any faceless nightmares like you did before?
1: I do yeah. not. Yeah.
2: I think I getting it out on paper. Dr. Jordan. Dr. Jordan's analysis is <laughs> <laughs> that once she saw Tony, that her brain, you know, that little seven, eight, nine-year-old was like, "Phew, finally." Mm -hmm. Finally, there's some clarity as to, you know, maybe not clarity, but some recognition.
1: Yeah, something
2: happened. I think that was part of the research
1: project process is I went once I realized what had happened, I went immediately to the research looking for something. And I was looking for myself. I was looking Mm -hmm. for my where what what was was I going to find myself in some of the stories that got told and that trial transcript. And in fact, I did. So that was um, in trying to understand a very unconventional, often violent childhood at the hands of my mom. Um, somehow the Tony Costa research figured in. Wow. Yeah.
0: If you if you could have spoken to him later on in life, would you have?
1: Oh Yeah, definitely.
0: But what would you have said?
1: Well, I would have asked him if he remembered me the way I remembered him. Mm -hmm. And I think both Jen and I would have asked him, what happened to you?
2: Yeah. Who did What
1: happened? Yeah. Because we know now that it takes some work for these personalities to be triggered into a rage, a murderous rage. Mm -hmm. So, um, and that last piece is always trauma. And not
2: only a murderous rage, rage, but a post-mortem rage i mean he after he killed he went on to then defile and dismember Mm -hmm. so the rage was not just in the moment like oh my god what i have done it was oh my god what i have done but i'm still not done yet right i'm still not through the rage is still you know just broiling in me boiling roiling um so yeah a lot of damage
1: yeah and i think that the idea that these personalities are born is inaccurate and um i think so too yeah it's inaccurate and that there's just pure evil in the world um you know maybe there is but it isn't in these personalities this is a there's a brain abnormality going on here
2: and And so a combo of nature and nurture right exactly
0: or a lack of nurture i wonder what his relationship was like with his mother maybe she was abusive yeah yeah
2: (laughs) yeah But because, they always blame it on the mother. So they're you know. But one of the things that we found in the research was that Tony wrote kind of in the third person about one of the murders in graphic detail that only the murderer himself would know. Um, for instance, that one of the bodies had been cut up into eight pieces and he described that process, but blamed it on somebody else. Mm-hmm. And in that description of one of his own murders, he says that the the man who was committing the murders in in his version his mother walks in and the mother is you know more angry at the victim than she is you know at at him you know him and i read that as like holy hell i mean this you don't just interject a mother into a scene like that unless it happened yeah, and so for Tony's mother to walk into the scene to see what he was doing or what he had just done, mm-hmm. and to say, "Clean this up!" Like not even what happened, and oh my god, nine one one, clean this up. Mm. So,
0: does he have any siblings?
1: Mm-hmm. He has one half brother.
0: Do you know anything about him?
1: Not doing uh,
2: great. Yeah, not doing he's, great. He's still in he's still in Truro. And he's uh, from last we read about him, you know, kind of in a police blogger. He's mm. not doing well. He's not doing great. I and mean, how, how could you? There's an entire there's an entire group
1: of people. There's a whole string of victims that yeah. weren't actually, you know, that weren't physical victims of right. this man from this place in this time. Yeah.
0: Right.
2: Unbelievable. Yeah.
1: Right.
0: Anything else you'd like people to know before we wrap up?
2: Well, I just, um, you know, this came to me in one of our recent discussions is that uh, too often our our young voices and for women, our adult voices are dismissed. You know, we're gaslit into, oh, just calm down. You're being very emotional. You didn't really see that, did you? Mm -hmm. And so I think that part of what Liza went through was a lifelong process of not having her voice heard. And so therefore not really trusting the nightmares, not trusting the darkness, not trusting the fear of her own mother. Or the memories. Right. Or the memories. And then all of a sudden to have the, the affirmation that, oh yeah, by the way, you had a serial killer in your life. And oh yeah, by the way, you went into the woods with him where he had buried his victims. And oh yeah, by the way, your mother was beating you to hell in the meantime. So it just, we have to, we have to teach and, and learn ourselves how to value voices and regardless of the age. And really, as I said, in particular women's voices, because I think we do tend to get gaslit more than men do and more than boys do. And so for, if, if one of the takeaways that I hope readers get is to really speak up and say my voice, my memories, my perspective on this matters. Yes. And if that happens, then, then I will feel that, you know, I will have a sense of healing if you will. Yeah.
0: <laughs> I want to add this uh, because we are in a pandemic I'm really sensitive to the fact that we're in a mental health pandemic yeah. and how it's affected everyone. I hear stories of people getting abused. You know, oh. ab- abusing their children, their spouses, their partners. It's crushing. And especially the younger generation who have lost internships and jobs and and I feel like both of you could be talking to victims of abuse about you don't have to stay silent. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. I mean, I was a victim of abuse, too. For so, you. yeah, my mom. Yeah. yeah. Emotional, yeah. physical. Yeah. And it's you know, it stays with you. It really yeah. does. It,
1: it does stay with you. And I think, you know, in part of writing this book together. Yeah. Um, and Jen would tell you this if we had more time, but it it, it is a For a while, I had a problem. I was like Patty Hearst with Stockholm Syndrome. I even had a problem using the word abuse in the manuscript. And we had to get down and dirty and vulnerable Mm -hmm. to make that, hopefully make that difference. And so um, I think abuse, you know, people stay, people, there's all kinds of stuff around it. And that's why I say the shame around it needs to come off, Yeah, the cover needs to come off yeah. and say this. This isn't cool. This isn't right. cool. People, we need to talk about
0: it. Sure. Well, right. and a lot of times people feel guilty for opening their mouths, you know, like Hello? Oh, I don't want to throw them under the bus, you know, who am I? You know, but after a while, you know, as you get older, you think I need to process this.
1: That's right. Yeah. I told my mother I was writing this book and she a lot and she cooperated in the beginning. But toward the end, I said, you know, mom, the book's done, and it was a difficult book to write, and it's going to be difficult for you to read. So I thought we'd read it together. Well, and she stopped in her tracks and said, why? Why am I not going to like it? And I said, well, mom, it's about my childhood. Oh, (laughs) that was about the last word she said about that book. So, you know, her favorite expression was, as long as I look thin and rich, I don't care what you do. But that's Turned out not to be the case. So
0: never apologize for how. Never, never.
1: Never. Never. Wow. Although I spent a lot of years doing that. Wow. Mm. Well, I'm glad you wrote the book. Thank you. Thank you. I am too.
2: I am too. And I have to say that, you know, I've uh, ghost written two other books. And when I came to this with Liza, I said, you have to understand that in writing a memoir, you're going to be doing one of the bravest things of your life. Mm -hmm. And I didn't really at that point um, have any idea what what I was what I was inferring. But when I started to get into the weeds with it and reading her voluminous uh, journaling and chapters that she'd written prior to my coming to it. And I was just, you know, tears in my eyes as a friend of 40 something years going, holy yeah, I, I mean, I didn't know any of this. She didn't. I mean, she sure. did not share. I only knew from my own experience with Betty, yeah. you know, what kind of mother she probably was. But I had no idea. The no difference. idea
0: who your friend was, what she went through.
2: Right. So yeah. for Liza to be able to say okay, and then actually do it, and actually uh, bear some wounds and reveal some warts and ugly, ugly truths was incredibly brave. And well,
0: you supported this, though. You were did. there, as you know, which is phenomenal.
2: Yeah. It right wasn't now. easy
1: for either one of us, though. I mean, there were times when it was very difficult to slog through that emotional, all those emotional reactions going on at the same time. Mm-hmm. Um, we are here and we did it. And that's, <laughs> why, that's why I say that's the cathartic part. Yes. Is definitely. that we finished it, we made it happen, and we're working it together. And, um, and we're still here together. Yeah, and that really is the biggest deal of all. That's great. And we're both
2: proud of it. You know, we're yes, both we are proud of of uh, what we both did to make it happen. And yep. and uh, but still, I think that you know, Liza deserves an extra kudo just for being able—never mind willing—but able in the final draft. Because I've had my two other authors like pull stuff at the very last. Um, you know, two, two other ghost projects pull some of the real meat. Right before publication, I was like, "No." But they feel vulnerable, right? right. Yeah. You know? right, right, and it, and it was about their families. It was about their mothers and about their siblings that they pulled the final, you know, the real teeth. Yes, yeah. yeah. So,
0: well, bravo!
1: Thank
2: you.
0: Where can people find out more about you, both of you, in the book?
1: Uh, almost anywhere they can buy the book, and uh, they can go to my website at lizarodman.com and find events and interviews and the story of our friendship, or at least briefly the story of our friendship. Our blogs,
2: we're both yeah. blogging. My website is jenniferjordan.net, but Liza really has put together a comprehensive uh, website on the, with a book page that has the reviews and the press events and the upcoming events and, and uh, online book events that we've done at bookstores. And uh, book clubs. So, all that's available and it is on lizagrodman.com.
0: Fantastic. Yeah. Well, I really enjoyed meeting both of you. Congratulations.
1: We well, did thank too. You. Thank you so much. Great. This has Absolutely. been fun.